0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Justin is out of town on flight training, uh, so we decided to combine the two classes into one. So those of you who are normally in Justin's class are going to get a uh, a lesson a day on 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, it was kind of surprising back in the, I guess it was in the late winter when Bryce asked me to, to teach on the church, I decided to teach on 1 Corinthians. And without knowing it, Justin decided to do the 9 Marks church. So he was teaching all the good things that should be happening in the church, and I'm teaching on every mistake you can just about possibly make in the church. Uh, Because the Corinthians did that. Paul founded the church in Corinth. Actually, it would be better to say God founded it. Paul was the messenger uh, on his second missionary journey. He spent about 18 months there and left thinking that things were in really good shape. And it wasn't too long. Within two years of that time, that church was in terrible straits. Uh, A lot of bad things happening there. Corinth was a, a decadent place. It was a kind of a seafaring route. It wasn't right on the sea, but there was an isthmus there where it is located, and it was a travel route for sailors and all sorts of people, but it was a very highly educated community, and the people who were there were very puffed up with their pride. Hence my prayer. Christians and non-Christians alike. The non-Christian world there Worshipped all kinds of idols, Uh, the goddess of Diana or Athena, the goddess of love. There were temple prostitutes, and sexual immorality was rampant in that church. There was even a term that was coined to Corinthianize. It meant that a person would become grossly sexually immoral. Uh, Not a good place. Las Vegas, San Francisco... New Orleans, Evansville for that matter, all combined into one bad, bad place. And Paul, in writing this letter, was trying to correct the wrongs there. And part of what we're going to read here today, he was being uh, discredited by many in the church for not having the courage to come there in person and confront them. That. You will hear that at the end of this chapter. Rather, he sent this letter. He had sent Timothy before to try to correct problems there, and he sent this letter. And of course, we know there's a Second Corinthians too, isn't there? He sent another letter. But today, our focus is on 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This class is not a lecture class. Uh, it is an inductive class. Uh, and the people who normally attend have a workbook, which those of you who are in Justin's class do not have. However, you will be able to answer the questions that I'm going to ask just by following the scripture here. So, I will read now and uh, then we will we will dig into the questions for the day. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, The Ministry of the Apostles. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become, and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in the church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Have to understand this chapter, most of it is written in irony a severe rebuke of what was going on there. He was not complimenting them when he was calling them rich and kings. He was rebuking them for their arrogance. Our first question, in contrast to hero worship, which was prevalent in Corinth and in Evansville, How do Paul and his co-workers wish to be regarded? The first two verses are what we're looking at. Servants. Servants. And he goes on to say later, "Even, even more debased than that, didn't he? The scum of the earth. It doesn't bother him to be thought of that way, does it? We see that in uh, a lot of uh, ministry today, don't we? Uh, I mean, the easy targets for that are uh, television evangelists, particularly some out of Texas. They desire to be seen only as humble messengers, servants, ordained by God. They weren't to be undervalued, certainly, but what they were fighting against was pride and arrogance in the church. Second question, verses 3 through 5, why was Paul not concerned about the way in which people judged him? Was he being arrogant? No. Paul said no. He just didn't care what people thought. He just cared what the Lord thought about. His Lord. Yeah. Somebody in the back may not it'll hear. Debbie said he was not concerned about what, what, what people thought about him. He was doing his work unto the Lord. Debbie? That's right. Same thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Paul recognized that our final judgment is only in the Lord. He's not being arrogant, but is saying that the ultimate verdict on all of our lives is the judgment of the Lord, who's the only qualified judge. I mentioned last week that uh, Henry Ford was asked once what was the thing he valued most in his employees and he was very quick to answer, loyalty, loyalty. Uh, and as an employer I can certainly attest to that in my, my own business. Having loyal employees is, is an incredible blessing. And, and that's what God is judging us on, our faithfulness and loyalty to Him. Interesting that it manifests itself in human affairs also, having a loyal friend. Question three, verses six through seven. Puffed up as an expression of pride and arrogance, how are the Corinthians and us to avoid this? Let me ask that question a different way. What kinds of things cause people, people to become puffed up or arrogant? Pride. What kinds of things create pride? Money. Money. Accomplishment. Power. Yep. Other ideas. Status. It's a big part of what causes bullying, where one person's person senses some differential in power over another person. It could be money, it could be social status, physical strength, all sorts of things. It could just be, I'm better than you are. Just, yeah. Ultimately, that is what it boils down to. For some reason, I'm better than you. I'm better looking. I've got more money. Money money's a big one, isn't it? Money And money is not the root of all evil, but as money, the Bible says the money is root, the root of all kinds of evil. There are plenty of other roots for evil. Um, how did Paul say the Corinthians were to avoid this? Bingo. Whatever we've achieved, it's been a gift. And you might rightly say, but I have had to work so hard. And that's true. As a result of the curse back in Genesis 3, we have to work really hard, don't we, to make a living. And some have been very, very successful in that. But even in that, where did that power come from to even work hard? It all comes from God. You know, Bryce gave an incredible lead-in to the men's conference this weekend on Friday night, talking about how the world sees success. And some of you men who were there may be able to help me with this a little bit. Bryce has such a way with words. And he can turn a phrase that just brings it to life. And he did that Friday night with this very issue of the world's view of success versus God's view of success. And he was saying there are people that the world sees as very successful. Maybe some corporate executive who's taken a failing corporation and turned it all around so that the stockholders now make wonderful dividends, and yet the guy is a horrible human being that doesn't care about people, but the world sees that as being successful. We're we're just not judged that way, are we? And, And it's a very humbling thing to recognize that it's all a gift. At least at first it is. But as you grow as a Christian, it becomes very much of a blessing to be able to recognize that and to be shed of the incredible weight of pride. Pride has an insatiable appetite. You can never satisfy it. No matter what you achieve, no matter what you clamor after, no matter how much money you make, you will never be content with it. Contentment can only be found in the Lord. And that is part of what Paul is trying to get over these people here. Now folks, we don't want to become so over-spiritualized in this that you can't take pleasure or some sense of accomplishment in things that you've done. Deb has painted a wonderful bunch of paintings that have livened up the children's area of the church here. She should take a sense of accomplishment in that. But not to the point of thinking, well, I can sure do that better than Debbie. Then it becomes pride. Or no one else could have done that like I did it. That's where we tend to go with pride, don't we? Start comparing ourselves against others. And it's not, folks, that only those things that you do directly for the church teaching a Sunday school class, or preparing the coffee on Sunday morning counts. Where do you spend most of your time every day? You know, from the time you're old enough to work until you die, most of the time you spent is spent in your job or raising a family. All of those things can be done to the glory of the Lord. The Bible tells us that, doesn't it? Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you drink— Whatever kind of work you do, do it to the glory of the Lord. That that is a faithfulness that God recognizes. Not just in things specifically done for the church. You know, if you're working in an auto body shop, repairing a fender on a car, do that to the glory of the Lord. If you're a doctor, do what you do in that emergency room to the glory of the Lord. If you're an engineer, you know, designing a bridge, do that to the glory of the Lord. If you're repairing a lawnmower engine, you're doing that to the glory of the Lord. That's how God sees success. What's done to his honor and his glory. And certainly the proud proud person, part two of this question is, what does the proud person fail to recognize? Fail to recognize God. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. And that does not honor God, does it? Yeah. Any other thoughts on this before we move on? Yes, Mary Beth. That's really good. What, what kinds of things in our lives are we stewards over? Time. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because we waste so much of it. I waste so much of it. Other ideas. What are we stewards over? Money. Money. Big one. Yeah. That's an easy one to keep count on. It's not so easy to do it sometimes, but at least it's easy to gauge it. Others. Physical strength and health. Physical strength and health. Bingo. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Nate's pretty strong. <laughs> yeah you are. You grab me one day. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing play a little joke on him and it turned back on me. <laughs> well, the answer is everything, isn't it? It's really everything that we've been given. We we're disturbed and disturbed well. Uh, our possessions, take good care of them. Yeah. I had a friend one time who, he got so spiritual about this. I mean, everything material to him, he just, he treated it with kind of a disrespect. I said, what's wrong with you? You, you should not be doing that. That's, that's God's pickup truck. You shouldn't be treating it the way you treat it. Take better care of your stuff. Okay? It doesn't become an idol to you. It's your spit shine in your shoes every night. But take good care of your stuff too. It's, that's a gift from God. Okay? Enough sermonizing. Question four. How does, compare, how does Paul compare the apostles... To the believers in Corinth. Wait a minute. I want to go back. Something. I want to go back a second. I've got a couple of verses I want to read. Uh, back to question three. This idea of everything being a gift from God and uh, how we're to receive it. Uh, John chapter three verse twenty-seven. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from uh, from heaven. Jesus said that. First uh, Peter four ten. Each one has received. Each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifest grace of God. Uh, back in Romans uh, verse, or chapter 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't get proud. Don't get puffed up. But to think with sober judgment the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Listen to this. Outdo one another in showing honor i do one another in showing honor. You want to do that pridefully. Look, I'm showing Kathy more honor than she's showing me. No. No. It's a genuine interest in others. And you know, the Bible tells us, you know, that the golden rule, love uh, other people, treat other people the way you want to be treated. But it goes much further than that, doesn't it? It's tougher than that. Esteem other people as if they're more important than you. That's a high mark on the wall, isn't it? And certainly uh, contrary to pride and puffed-upness. People resent us so much for that too. You know, the very thing you're trying to accomplish get people to esteem you, they can't stand you for it. I've lived that life, miserable. So glad to have that taken away, at least some of it. Okay, question number four. How does Paul compare the apostles to the believers in Corinth? This is where the irony gets thick, like cold morning molasses thick. I'll start you. Paul uses a very, very strong irony here. He rebukes them in order to show how trivial their concerns are and their criticisms and how great their pride compared to the hardships willingly suffered by the Apostles. Try for a moment to put yourself in the mindset of these Corinthians and hearing what Paul is saying to them. Knowing that it's in irony. Already, you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you become kings. you think he's complimenting them? And would you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you? Actually, that's an exclamation, not a question. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. I don't think I would want to be in the audience receiving that. But things had gotten bad there, and he was handling them the way they needed to be handled. Certainly, they were a group of people that were... Another thing about Corinth, there was a very high level of education there. And not just... Obviously, the church education had not done too well there. But it was known as a place where these um, big thinkers... I'm thinking of the Wizard of Oz, the kind of man behind the curtain. uh, They would have these uh, philosophers and orators come through and philosophers, and teach these lofty ideas, and people would pay to hear them. So they were, they were kind of considered themselves uh, at least a large segment of the society. There's a very erudite kind of a populace there. So for Paul to make these accusations against them was particularly stinging. You know, ultimately saying, you know, you're really not as smart as you think you are. And you're certainly not humble. It's a stinging rebuke of them. He goes on to say in verses 12 to 13, moving on down to question number five for those of you that have the study how did the apostles respond when they were slandered? When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now, what is our natural tendency right now, as Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, when we are reviled or persecuted, what is our first impulse? Bingo. And that might be the least of what we do, is to defend ourselves. My wife is shaking her head. We have a very, very good personal example of this that I'm not going to tell you about. Recently. That, Bingo. Defense, retaliation. Other ideas. Kathy, were you scratching your back or do you want to talk? <laughs> uh, I take I, I that victim mentality. Yeah. Yeah, particularly if you don't think you can retaliate well, then you're just, you, you take on the victim mentality. Bull well, pours me. Other ideas? (laughs) Retreat. Yes. Just avoid dealing with it. Go hide from it some way. (laughs) When I was writing this, I thought of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. (laughs) Where... I don't remember the Pee Wee's adversary that stole his bicycle, called him some kind of name. I said, I know I am, but what about you? <laughs> you, know, you know, there's a lot of dark humor in the world about this sort of thing and We want to get back at him some way typically. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. It's just not the attitude that we're to have. Uh just in a very general way, Marianne and I had a really difficult situation uh, a fam not within our family, but we were kind of uh, attacked by someone, and our initial reaction is exactly what we're saying here. Well, we need to do this, and we need to do that, and we need to get legal help here, and we need this, we need that and finally. We- you know, we both kind of came to it together talking through this. No, we need to show grace and love. And if we suffer a loss, so be it. We'll, we'll give up. In this case, a piece of property. We'll just give it away rather than fight over it. It's not worth it. So uh, the two of us were much stronger than either one of us individually in that that we were able to work through this and come up with a, what I think was a, uh, a humble response to this. So we'll see what the outcome is over the months, but hopefully it'll be good. So we can gain victory over those things. And, and typically, when we do have those, res, those responses of, of uh, striking back, getting revenge, defending ourselves, whatever, you know, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And I'll tell you what, folks, that you can get convicted pretty quickly. And, and that's such a good thing, isn't it? When I mean, it's painful at first when you like, okay, that was really a sinful thought. I need to turn away from that. You know, it's the Spirit working within us. And brothers and sisters in the Lord can be huge helps in that. You know, the uh, proverb, you know, out of many counselors come wise decisions. You know, it, sometimes getting counsel from other Christians on things where we're, you know, we, something's being done wrong to us. It shouldn't be. We are being wrong. But how do we handle that correctly? Okay? Yep, it is hard. You know, the Christian life is contraintuitive to what we are naturally. You know, it's almost every time it's the opposite of the way we would normally react to things. You know, it's… Uh, but Jesus said, my yoke is easy. It's a lot easier than the other way. Okay. Question number six. That's on the next page, folks, that have the study. Verse 21. Verse 21 says, Paul speaking to these folks, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? What do Paul's alternatives in verse 21 say to you about his assessment of the future of the Corinthian church? Say again. Yeah. Essentially, he was throwing the task back in their lap, wasn't he? Okay. Here's what what I've seen. Here's what Timothy saw. And there were certainly believers in the church that were stronger Christians that informed Paul of the problems that were going on there that saw what was going on. So now he's saying it's up to you. Are you going to do what's right? Or are you going to continue in your own way? No. Good. Yeah, that's really not an option for us either, is it? We're to forbear with one another, encouraging one another on to love and good works. The methodology of how he's going to do that is going to be somewhat dependent on how they, how they handle this, though. Am I going to have to come to you with stronger correction and a rod of iron or in love? Actually, that would be in love, too, wouldn't it? It's just a harsher kind of love. Um, you know one thing that that I have really admired about Faith Bible Church Marianne and I have only active this is only the third church that we've attended in our married lives and we've been married a pretty long time Uh, Faith Bible judiciously follows church discipline and that is such a healthy thing uh for a church. The term, church discipline, it's okay, but it doesn't really communicate the motive correctly, in, all by standing alone. A public rebuke, or even private, the, the objective in that is restoration. It is to restore the sinning brother or sister, to right fellowship. It is not, the intent is not to punish. It looks like that. But it's not the motive behind it. it. It's just a strong rebuke at that point to restore the sinning brother or sister to fellowship. And it is really, the Bible says, particularly in the case if it's a leader in the church, it is a warning to the congregation that can't be tolerated in the body of Christ. We, we cannot tolerate that kind of behavior here. So it's a warning that even leaders are not above that. It's a very, very healthy thing. Uh, and any of you here who have been Christians for any length of time, you have had some brother or sister that really cares about you, that has come to you and brought something to you that you need to do better. Mike doesn't love me enough if he catches me behaving some way or saying something that dishonors Christ. He does not love me enough if he doesn't come to me gently and correct my error in that. The Bible says gently. Why gently? knowing that he too could fall prey to the same wrong that I've committed. It's so got to be very careful in doing that, not being harsh in how we correct one another. So this discipline thing that Paul's working into here is done in love, not out of anger. Yes, Kathy? Well, I was just gonna say that. You've got to speak up a little bit. We've got a lot of people in the back, if you can. And irate, irate is not a uh, an emotion that we are privileged to uh, exhibit, is it? No, no, no. No. We. We have to admit that our wrong. Yeah. Was that old thing in? Oh, what was? Happy days. The Fonzie couldn't say the word wrong, could he? He made a mistake. I was couldn't get it out of his mouth. But well, we have a pretty hard time getting it out of our mouths too, don't we? When we've done something wrong. But that, that's part of the Christian life. So, okay. I sure didn't think we'd get this whole chapter done today, but we have. So, we'll move right on to chapter 5. Uh, now, <clears throat> let's see how far we might go here. Yeah, I'm going to read about the first five verses. Now, this is where it starts getting pretty earthy, with Paul confronting the Corinthians with uh, sexual immorality within the church. The Bible makes no apologies for some of its earthiness, does it? It kind of lays it all out there for us. Sexual immorality defiles the church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this, be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in the Spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Wow. Verses 1 and 2, how did Paul communicate the seriousness of the sin that infected the Corinthian church? Not even among unsaved people would this kind of thing be tolerated. What does it mean where he says, for a man has his father's wife? It, it's probably a stepmother. But it doesn't say that. You know, the footnote in this uh, R.C. Sproul Bible says, the man's father may have died, or the woman may have been a stepmother. In any case, the sexual relationship in view is the incestuous union explicitly condemned in Leviticus. Though the Greco-Roman culture of Paul's day tolerated a wide array of immoral activities, even Gentiles censored that kind of of incest. And this was going on within the church. Um, I can't remember if that was back in chapter three or two or three, where when Paul was in a in a much more general way condemning these people for their behavior. You know, he, he is admitting that they're, that they're Christians. But their lives were so in opposition to what Christian behavior should be, he was essentially telling them, you know, you, your, your life is not going to stand the test of fire. You're going to get in heaven, but it's going to be about the skin of your teeth. Remember he said the gold precious jewels, wood, hay, and stubble. That was the fire that was going to stand. What, what there of value is there in your life? You've made this profession of faith in Christ, and he's admitting that it was legitimate. But their lives have not not been faithful. Well, he was certainly very direct with them here, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The second part of the question, what shocked him about the church's response here? Yeah. Yeah, you know, in verse, uh, I read the first uh, five verses. Next, verse six, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You know, the Bible pretty much universally uses the word leaven in a negative, a pejorative term. You know, we think of leaven and bread being a good thing, but a little bit of sin in the church can defile the whole bunch. What's the, uh, there's a, oh, uh, one apple spoils a dozen. A bad apple spoils a dozen. Kind of the same kind of thinking of this verse here. Um, you know, he was shocked that they were actually proud of their behavior. Uh, We would be too, wouldn't we? I hope we would be. Um, And that the church failed to deal with it. But apparently the church church even kind of took pride in its uh, antinomianism, its disregard for the law that had no respect for the law at all. Jesus said I didn't come to destroy it, came to fulfill it. It's still there. Thankfully we don't have to. Can you think question 2 and we'll finish with this one. Can you think of similar issues in the church today? There's some really obvious ones. I see a lot of heads going this way, but I'm not hearing anybody say anything. Secretary stole money from the church. But that's not what these verses are about. This is about something else. Kathy. Kathy. Yes, yes, Deb. Same thing. For those of you who didn't hear, I can bear. I got hearing aids, which are helped me some. And thanks for speaking up nice and loud so I could hear. Uh, that churches are are just going along with sins similar to these. You don't have to drive very far. I'm gonna go right to the specific big issue in the church today. It is the church condoning homosexuality. Endorsing it, even installing people in leadership positions in churches that are guilty of this sin. And the Bible makes no bones about it. Very, very graphic in Romans and in other places of the seriousness of that sin. It's interesting how much attention the Bible gives to sexual sin. People say all sins are the same. That's true in one sense. All sin, any sin, little sin, big sins condemn us because a small sin is still a sin against the lawgiver. But there were some sins that could be atoned for by a grain offering or a dove. Or if you were wealthy, maybe you would. Uh, have a bull slaughtered. There were other sins you were stoned to death. And these sexual sins were stoning sins. That's how serious they were. And as I was going to say, you don't have to drive very far to see a rainbow flag flying in front of a church. Welcome. Now, I wish everyone in Evansville that was guilty of that sin attended here so they could hear the truth, and they would hear the truth here. Don't want to be proud about that, because we too could fall prey to these problems here. But here is the issue for the church and for us personally. Would it be a loving thing or a good thing to encourage someone to murder Somebody answer that question. No. Would it be a good thing, would it be a loving thing to encourage someone to steal? No. It would be a horrible thing, wouldn't it? It would be a hurtful thing. Would it be a good thing, would it be a loving thing to encourage someone to lie? No. Those are all things that God condemns. Why is it then a good thing to encourage people to persist in this sexual sin that the Bible clearly condemns? It is a hateful thing to do that. It cares nothing about that person's future. It is absolutely the opposite of the way Christians should react to those kind of things. But we are instructed to be gentle in that, knowing that we too at one time were like that or like this. We lied, we did this, we did that, or we did the other. We don't come with some haughty attitude about that because we too have been guilty of it or could be guilty of it. So we've got to be very careful in how we approach non-Christians, especially in that. But to see churches condoning that kind of behavior is another animal altogether, isn't it? It is not a loving thing to do that. It's very distressing. And it's exactly the kind of thing that was going on in this church here. There was just no sexual sin that these people weren't practicing. They did it all. They did it all. Well, the church. The Christian church today has a gnawing desire to be accepted by the culture. That's the problem. We want to be liked by the culture, and we have the church to a great extent has lost its saltiness because of that.